Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, Fightful.com. Here with a name you know. You know him because he's one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, the ROH Pure Champion. We got Jonathan Gresham. How's it going? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. You're somebody I've wanted to have on for, for a long time. In my opinion, best wrestler in the world right now, and I know you hear it a lot. You, you, can, you can be humble all you want, but you hear it a lot. I see it a lot. How does it feel when it's like so many of your, your peers and people that you wrestle and fans are like, that guy, he's the best in the world wrestling right now? No, um, for a while, I, I really felt weird about it uh, because I, I don't feel like I'm on that level. I believe, of course, everybody wants to be the best at their craft, but um, the more and more I thought about it, um, to be honest, I'm more so happier about that people are looking at someone that looks like me as someone that can be best in the world. Because uh, for years, uh, Black people, people that look like me have not been considered or in the um, the conversations of being best in the world. So um, when I look at who the best in the world is right now, I look at guys like Lee Moriarty, um, Fred Yehi, Jay Lethal, and I just it is it, great to hear my name come up so often, but I also want to put out that there's so many other great wrestlers out there that should also be getting attention as well. So I'm just happy that um, people of color actually get looked at in a different way now. And I'm sure that you hear that a lot too, that you've inspired other people of color to pursue wrestling or pursue a certain style of wrestling. How does that make you feel considering how long and how much work that you put into what you do? It's so funny. Um, recently, um, and this is not me being braggadocious. It was actually a story that like touched me in a way that like it really made me reevaluate, um, like what I need to be doing going forward. Um, I wrestled Starboard Charlie at um, at uh, the GCW Homecoming show, and uh, unbeknownst to me, his mom was there. And uh, after the match, I went to go sell merch, and I'm hanging out, um, and she just comes up to me to have some conversations and. Uh, Something that she said, uh, I don't think it garnered the reaction that maybe she had thought. Everything like I said before, but she told me that Starboy, like in so many words, like she literally said idolized, but I mean, like looked up to me and I'm like, okay, I had to kind of step outside of myself for a second and go, okay, with people looking at me like that, I now have a responsibility, even if they're not asking for me to be responsible for my actions or what I'm doing going forward. I have to be better than I have been. And um, 
now I'm just taking it a little more serious because people would tell me and I just thought maybe they were fluffing me or whatever, but now I'm just really starting to understand like me being inspired by the people that came before me is now passing through me going to other people. Um, so it's just the things that I've learned and I've studied from others. And I think they're seeing that collection of knowledge through me now that I've just adopted from others. And I'm sure you get this question a lot, but like who were some of the people that inspired you not to, not to go for a cliche generic question, but uh, I mean, I'm always particularly interested to hear who the best in-ring wrestlers looked at because there are some people that'll be like, it was the berserker and giant Gonzalez. Like you never know who attracted somebody to wrestling the first time. So, um, the first person I saw that, like, I, I've liked wrestling for like a long time before I actually settled on one person. And, um, I, it was really weird because of the way I wrestle now, but, uh, the person that attracted me to pro wrestling and when I saw him, I said, okay, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. I didn't know how or when it was going to start, but it was, um, Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, nice. Um, I'm not really sure why. And everybody's always like shocked by that. But like, yeah, it was Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. He's one of those people that visually you look at if you're if you're a kid and you go, who is that? He's got the flames on, not just on his on his gear but his head. Like even the action figures when you were little, like they would sell the baby blue version. Like he was such like a visually appealing wrestler and didn't look like anybody else. So I I could I could definitely get behind that. Uh, you mentioned Lee Moriarty earlier. As we're filming this, you you just faced him. And he's one that the whole world is pointing at, and they're going like, "He's he's the next one. He's the next guy." Like guys like like him and Wheeler Yuta and Daniel Garcia that are really really emerging. What what was that like to to be in there with with a guy that quite frankly has drawn a lot of comparisons to you, as has Garcia and, and Yuta? Um, being in there with Lee the first time at GCW, uh, this one we kind of knew each other. So I, I wasn't like uh, taken by surprise or anything. But yeah. when I wrestled him at uh, the GCW show, the first one uh, last year, I think it was um, before the match happened. Uh, I'm, I'm really cool with Alex Shelley and Shelley and I like to talk about guys that uh, are like minded. And Shelley would consistently like he would call me and we just have a conversation and randomly go, hey, completely off topic. You have to like work with Lee Moriarty. And I'm just like, OK, he's like, no, even if it's just training, like you're, you're going to love him. And then, like, he just kept telling me, kept telling me. And so um, the stars just kind of aligned. And then, uh, you know, uh, GCW booked me against Lee Moriarty. I was going in, looking forward to it. Shelly was actually there, too. Um, and so I didn't really – he's very um, quiet when you meet him the first time. He talks to me a little bit more now. But uh, he's very quiet when you meet him for the first time. And uh, it's kind of like, again, it's me really, like, settling into uh, how I'm being viewed now. So I kept, like, trying to talk to him about the match – but I realized he was kind of giving me the floor and it didn't really hit me until like 15 minutes in. I was like, Oh, that's right. I'm the veteran. So that's what we're taught when we first come in me being in ring of honor, where it's like, I'm with my peers and like lethal looks at me on the same level as him, even though I'm not like, um, he kind of gives me the floor, to like share ideas and go over matches with him or whatever. So, um, in this situation, Lee just kind of let me kind of plan everything. And so, uh, we, we planned, you know, majority of the match. And then, uh, what really got me, was the parts of wrestling that you don't talk about in the back that he just did. And you really have to be someone that 
studies wrestling from all over the world to kind of pick up on these things. And um, it took me a really long time to like get to where Lee Moriarty is. And he's like, what, three, four years in yeah, now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's right. So, yeah. So the things that he's picked up on now, it took me like seven years to really understand it. And uh, I make this joke all the time when I talk to him, joke, but I say this all the time with the guys I speak to about this stuff, but it's like, I think the guys that really study wrestling, they watch the guys that kind of like the heroes, the Claudio, the Danielsons, the Cabanas, and when they left Ring of Honor, because I'm like a student of Ring of Honor wrestling, I believe I picked up where they left off as far as like psychology wise. And I added mine on top of that with like a collection of things that I learned from other places. And I feel like Lee did the same thing. A lot of the things he did in that match were not called and it was amazing. And we just kind of jailed. And like, I, whenever I talk about him, I bring up this one spot where uh, I kick out and he's like doing a lateral press on me. I kick, I kick out and he looks at it and he uses his foot to put it back down in that moment. And that was in the early moments of the match. In that moment, I said to myself, this is going to be good. Like, I just knew I was going to enjoy this match thoroughly. And um, I did. And it was uh, one of my favorite matches of that year, you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I could say so much great stuff about Lee Martin. Oh, I love it. And probably... funny you mentioned Alex Shelley. Like, Lee told me that Alex Shelley got him, like, a spot on Impact. Uh, I think it was last year. Like, got him booked there for, for a show as well and really put over Alex as being instrumental. Now, I mean, we're here to talk a lot about Ring of Honor, but I'm so interested in – like the indie dates that you do, because you are one of the top guys in Ring of Honor, so your your word carries weight. So when you're wrestling a Lee Moriarty, a Starboy Charlie, even Myron Reed, who is in MLW, but but you were wrestling him on the indies, like is that something that you take back and you go, this guy can bring it, this guy might be worth bringing in? Are you like actively scouting? Because I'm sure whatever's good for Ring of Honor is probably pretty good for you as well. Again, like I don't want anything to come off braggadocious but like I try to do my part because I told myself a long time ago that like to me Ring of Honor is um, and I'm probably alone in this argument but I believe it is the independent trendsetter um, I can tell stories about that but I won't really go into it but um, it all starts in Ring of Honor in my mind and I think the wheel is round. For so long, we've been in this one genre of wrestling on the independence. And now I think it's time for the wheel to start turning again. And that wheel that's turning, in my mind, has to go back, has to revert to something similar to the origins of the way wrestling was supposed to be in the first place. And to me, the closest thing to that is basically having rules. And um, just so happened, Ring of Honor had a rule set that like makes things interesting. Um, in my mind, if you go and watch any sport, whether it's soccer, hockey, football, whatever, there's rules that the players have to like play within those realms. And if they don't, it's just total chaos. So to me, that's what professional wrestling is today is it's complete chaos. So now you give rules. Now you can have heels and faces again, regardless of gender. So if you have a intergender match and now you put rules, no longer is the male the default heel because if the woman punches first, then she's the heel and it works. So it's all, it all comes back to rules. So to go back to the question that you asked, I do go forward and talk about these guys. And, and selfishly, I speak about the guys that I believe would present the pure style 
the best. Okay. Uh, because I think we have enough high flyers. I think we have enough brawlers. We need more, and I'm not shitting on anybody or speaking ill of anybody, but we need more guys that overthink the craft because we need to present our company as something different. So, yes, I go out of my way. After I wrestled Lee Moriarty, little did I know that I need I didn't need to because uh, I was told later on by one of the office guys that literally the office watched our match. <laughs> and they went to the higher-ups and they spoke very highly of uh, Lee. And so I'm not sure if this is something that is common knowledge, but Lee was actually booked yeah. pretty much immediately after that for Ring of Honor. But uh, somebody caught COVID at that collective show. Mm-hmm. So I was taken off. Lee was actually in quarantine. He passed. He was ready to wrestle. But they took all of us off that taping. So Lee would have uh, debuted, for, debuted for Ring of Honor like a long time ago. I think right along the time he debuted for Impact, yeah. but of course COVID nineteen and so. So let's let's talk about that in ring because the, the pure title coming back and you've held that for almost almost a year. I know on screen it's a little less than that because of because of the unique taping schedule. But I mean I love the pure rules thing, and there are a whole lot of people, for example, that might have not known what Mike Bennett was capable of in that landscape. They were familiar with him in a different type of scenario, WWE, Impact Wrestling, and maybe never saw what he was capable of until he got in the ring with you, did a pure rules match, and, and did a lot of that stuff. What what were your thoughts? Like, Was that something that you pushed for, the pure title coming back? Was that something that was just brought up and you were like, hell yeah, I'll spearhead this? I've told this to maybe like two or three people. It, it might not be true. But um, I remember when I came into Ring of Honor in 2017, the Bucks were still around, and um, things were really going in, in the New Japan direction and everything. And, you know, with all of that going on, I kind of looked around and I was like, there's no real representation of Ring of Honor that I grew up and that molded me as a professional wrestler. And so after that, I told myself, okay, I'm going to be the pure guy because people that are fans of old ring of honor know what pure means. So instead of using technical, I always started talking about pure, pure, this, pure, that I kept bringing it up until they gave me a match with Silas uh, back in maybe 2019. Um, long story short though, uh, I like to think I had a lot to do with it because I cut promos about this stuff that never saw the light of day. Um, I remember I cut a promo in front of Mandy Leon and Todd Sinclair that never aired. And it was basically me saying I was the lifeblood of Ring of Honor. A couple of months later, there was a faction called Lifeblood with people that, like, never existed in Ring of Honor. Yes. Um, I'm not going to go in detail about who probably pushed that forward, but I kind of felt something about that. So that lit a fire up under my ass to, like, really go home and, like, push for it even more so before i knew uh, marty scroll was taken over we were in japan for super juniors and i remember talking to marty in detail uh brody was right there too and we sat down in the locker room a little bit before one of the shows and um he was just asking me questions about what i thought ring of honor could do to like stand out and i went on this huge like probably half an hour <laughs> rant about how pure wrestling is the identity of Ring of Honor because nobody else can make that claim. If somebody else starts doing it, they're copying us. Um, and that would differentiate us. When you want to see a sports-oriented like professional wrestling 
uh, match you would come to Ring of Honor. I have a, a, a idea that wrestling is supposed to be a variety show, right? But I think since everything is subscription based now, why is it that you go to blank promotion for comedy and you go to this company for whatever, you go to Ring of Honor for sports-based product, something that has rules. You can follow the story through rankings and different things of that nature. So I, I spit all of this to uh, to Marty. Um, a few months later when it was announced that he he uh, he was taken over, um, he had actually started talking to me more than normal. Um, and uh, we had a phone call. He sent me this email. And it had a PowerPoint presentation. He said, hey, what do you think about this? I'm about to pitch it. And uh, I read it, and it was a lot of my ideas in there. And I was like, wow, let's go for it. Do it, man. And the next thing I know, the Pure Tournament was announced. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So I like to think I had a little bit of influence on it. But uh, who pushed it through, really? Uh, and uh, I, I, I thank him to this day. I know he's got counsel and everything, which is unfortunate for a lot of reasons. But uh, Marty, you know, uh, I think on his way out, he did a lot to save the company, believe it or not. And in your particular in-ring style, like it seems like you can win with absolutely any move. Have you had fun like making that a thing where a lot of people have a finish and people will immediately recognize it? With you, it's like the, the attention has to be at, at a bit of a height throughout more of the match because you don't necessarily know what Jonathan Gresham is going to finish a move with. Has it been challenging? Has it been fun, like subverting expectations? It really hasn't been that way. Like, it's, isn't, it's fun because it's just creative to me, and I like being creative with wrestling. I just feel like we have all gotten into this groove of a match has to be a certain way. And when I really watch shows, I like to watch live shows to see the fans reactions and everybody, their condition, they kind of know when to react. And that's not a real genuine reaction. They're waiting to react. And yeah. I don't want to have a match that is like predetermined, you know, uh, so much with the fans. Yeah. Anyway. So like, I want them to be excited because they don't, they honestly don't know what's going to happen. They know when the heat's happening. They know when that, like, a comeback, nothing's going to happen. So you got to hit a guy with three head drops before the finish is a possible thing. So um, to me, I just wanted to get out of that groove. I always strive to be different. And uh, my goal was to legitimize all these moves that we use before we do the big moves. Why do we use headlocks? Why do we use hammerlocks if they never work? It's kind of like, why don't we just... Ding, 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 lock up, Canadian Destroyer. You know what I mean? Because those are the moves that start finishing matches anyway. So my whole goal was to just give the pure division a different feel. And um, to me, in mixed martial arts, you can use a punch or a kick and the guy's out or an arm bar or whatever. You just never see it coming. So yeah. I want that same feel for pure matches. So that was my whole reasoning for doing it that way. Uh, to your point, one of the reasons that, and you had mentioned rules, one of the reasons I love that, close fist punches should be illegals because we see them knock people out in like five seconds all the time. It should not be something that happens right away. And if so, why isn't anybody's face swollen up? Why, why isn't anybody out cold? That's why you use the open hand chop because you're opening up your fist. Like it's otherwise, why would, why would you use an open hand chop? Ideally you just punch somebody in the face. So I'm, I'm completely with you there and adding, adding rules 
adds psychology and it creates a lot of more, it, it makes a lot of creativity and it, it snowballs from there and you get more of the art of a pro wrestling match in, in that regard. Were, were the people that you studied or do study, like, for example, like there's a Billy Robinson who has a great catch wrestling background and, and did a lot. Was it that age? Was it more modern age? Like what specifically would you say you put the most weight into studying, even though there's probably plenty of things? So um, at the base, I am a student of Ring of Honor. I didn't um, really, I told myself I wanted to be a wrestler. Um, There was a little like voice or something in my subconscious that was like, yeah, right. So it wasn't until I started training for pro wrestling and I was just being Rey Mysterio, I was just doing all Rey Mysterio stuff. And then one day I came across, I think it was, um, it was a Ring of Honor show. And I watched that DVD over, I don't know, it was so many times. I was just, I was mesmerized by it. More so because I couldn't, I couldn't look at WWE and go, oh, I, I can relate to this person. Yeah. But for some reason, I could relate to Roderick Strong. I could relate to Brian Downson. I could relate to Samoa Joe, Loki. For some reason, the way it was filmed, and it looked so like I could walk outside and walk to the local YMCA, and I was there. It, to me, it felt closer. And then I became obsessed with Ring of Honor. So to answer your question, Ring of Honor was my base. Everything, Cabana, Gibson, Danielson, Joe, Loki, uh, you know, uh, Lethal, like all of these guys were were my teachers without meeting them. I studied everything. I would watch the same matches over and over for different reasons. I would watch one match, and then I would watch the face. And then the next match, I would watch the heel. The next match, I would watch the referee. The next match, I would watch the crowd. Like I would just watch it over and over for so many different reasons until I literally got tired of watching it. And I would have to use another DVD and then watch that. And I would do the same thing. Um, so all those older guys, like uh, uh, the Destroyer, the Master Destroyer and all these guys, uh, I wouldn't start watching them until much later, until I was like kind of exhausted on the Ring of Honor product. And then I started being influenced by other things, you know, like the Lucha Libre and different things like that. Mike Quackenbush had a huge uh, influence on me as well. I have to admit that. Yes. It's like, you never know what might lead somebody to something else. Like I discovered ROH because of Jack Evans doing a double backflip off a cage. Then I watched one of their shows. and I was like, wait, I love all this other stuff. Like I love, I love the transitions. I love all this, like this. It's like, I knew I would never be able to do a double backflip, but it's like, man, I like watching that. And that makes me want to go train. Like you never know what might, snowball to something else like we mentioned earlier uh you were announced to a, as as re-signing with roh this year i'm sure you had options on the table what led to you saying i want to stick with ring of honor well ring of honor has given me so much the company itself um i would have been in a really bad place in my life if i didn't become obsessed with ring of honor um so I have no loyalties to any particular person in the company, but I am, I don't know. I want to see ring of honor in a certain place. I can't see myself leaving. I think ring of honor can be bigger than it's ever been. Uh, and I really want to be a part of that. Uh, and the only way for me to do that is to stay. So 
Well, to, to that point, a couple years ago, I remember you were coming off a tour from Japan, and somebody hit me up and said, hey, Jonathan Gresham doesn't have a contract. And I was like, by the time he leaves Japan, he might. Because I, like, I was thinking, like, I, no offense to ROH. I don't know how, you, how you're like, yeah, Jonathan, no, no new deal. See you in a couple weeks after you go to Japan and make them fall in love with you. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, there, there was a re- I thought there was a real good chance you might end up there. There might be a bit of a bidding war there. How was that process, considering you were over there working a style, quite frankly, that they were eating up and they, they fell in love with you there, and coming back and, and sort of renegotiating or negotiating with ROH then? To be honest, um, I was kind of nervous because I can't visualize myself anywhere else. Uh, I've been fixated on being in Ring of Honor. I remember thinking, oh, man, if I can just get to Ring of Honor. And then I got to Ring of Honor, and I was like, okay, I'm here. It was like, I'm, I'm tagging with Shelly. I'm tagging with Saban. This is awesome. And I was like, I'm content. And then after a while, it was like, all right, I wonder what else I can do. And it was just like, well, don't worry. Just keep grinding. I put my nose back down, kept grinding. Next thing you know, I was wrestling lethal. And I was like, wow, that's how I kind of looked up, looked around. Okay, I'm wrestling lethal. This is cool. Look back down. Boom, now I'm tagging with Lethal. Every time I look up, it's like something new has happened. And now I look up and it's like, wow, I never thought any of this. I just never thought of any of this. And so, like, I just want to keep putting my nose back down and grinding until I look up one day and Ring of Honor is on national television. And I am a part of the rise of that. And I want to look back down and hopefully when I look back up, I'm watching new guys do the same thing on television. I'm aging their matches for Ring of Honor. That's the goal. So, I mean, I, I know that as far back as I think like 10 years ago, you were working Kyle O'Reilly on an ROH show. How did it feel to knowing that that motivated you to wrestle in the first place, get that call? And I think a few years later, it was Will Ferrara in it, like you did a spot there. And then it started to become a little bit more regular. But how did those early matches feel for you as somebody who is inspired by wrestling? And quite frankly, I love that we're hearing people like some of the best in the world say, early 2000s, mid-2000s TNA, ROH, stuff like that motivated them. I think that's rad. Yeah, man. Um, to be honest, after that match with uh, with uh, O'Reilly, I remember I, you kind of know when somebody's ready to bring you back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after the match, I thought, you know, oh, man, I, I can't wait to hear what, like, you know, the office guys have to say. And it was like, oh, good job, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, we'll be in contact. When I heard that, I was like, I'm not ready. What do I have to do to become ready? And so I thought about everything, all my favorite wrestlers. What did they do? They traveled the world. Uh, at that time, I was already traveling, but they traveled the world extensively, and they, they worked on their craft. So I was like, okay, cool. So I got here. You know, I didn't shit the bed, so uh-huh. I need to go back on the road. So that's when I took it upon myself to go, all right, I'm going to go live in Europe. And so I went to go live in Europe for about a year and a half, two years. And from there, I started going to uh, more so to Germany. I was already going to Germany. I started going to Germany more. I started traveling to other parts of Europe, all over England and the UK. Then I started going to Taiwan and Japan and, uh, you know, just going everywhere, man. And um, I didn't really think about anything else besides getting better, getting better, getting better. Um, so it just lit a fire up me just to better myself. And the more... I, the more places I went, the more people I worked with. That's when I met Marty for the first time. Uh, wrestled Zack Sabre multiple times at like small shows. We wrestled for like 30 minutes and nobody ever saw it. You know what I mean? Like 
Um, so it just lit a fire up on me, man, to be better. So uh, one of the things I've I've noted repeatedly, Octopus University, I love that stuff. Is there any chance you bring that back? Like, I love that. You were, like, showing people how to do, like, mouse traps in under a minute and stuff like that. I thought that was, like, such a valuable resource, and uh, I think it, I think it'd blow up now. You know, um, I was I was doing it, and then I forgot what took me away for a little bit. Um, I did something, and it kind of took me away a little bit. And then when I came back and I was like, oh, I should start doing it, I saw several other people doing it. Like, um, mm. uh, uh, what's his name from Canada? Um, names escape me sometimes. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, good God. He, he did TNA and stuff for a while. He's wrestled all over the place. Oh, is, um, is it Tyson? Tyson Dukes? Yes. Tyson Dukes. Yes. Yeah, I've seen some of his. Yeah. I know his name. We're fucking buddies. I'm, just, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but like him and then Dean Allmark from England. And it's like several people, uh, the Santos brothers or something mm-hmm. and over in California. Like um, brothers, it's yeah. so many guys. Yeah. So it's so many guys doing it. I just felt no need to really continue. It was like, okay, well, like they're getting so, cause in my mind it was like, I want to help promote like wrestling. Everybody's yeah. always putting these gifs up of like flips and dives. And it's just like, what happened to the wrestling? I just want people to like mark out for wrestling. But now I see people pushing it more. So it's like, okay, as long as it's there, that's all that matters. To me. I don't have to be the front runner of it. I just want it to be promoted. So oh, I, I loved it though. Like you, it'd be like, here's how you do a crab trap in a minute. And it's like, I'm, I'm a visual learner. So if I see something enough, that's how I can take it. Like I can't tell, tell you how many times those videos, I, I, they'd pop up on my subscriptions and I'd go to my wife and I'm like, Hey, let me try something on you. So she would, she would <laughs> loathe it, but you know, it's something that I always look forward to. So uh always love those. I encourage people to go back and check them out. We do have an interesting reader question. I don't know who this could be. A Jordan G says, ask him about smelling salts. Wow. Okay. So the other day, uh, she's got this little bottle that says atomic on it. I should have known better, but I'm trying to get up, uh, I think, uh, for, for something on deadlift. And, um, we're in our home gym and uh, she didn't like tell me how to take it, you know? So I just unscrewed. I tried to do what I see like, other people do in videos and just stick my nose in and smell it. Here she comes creeping down the stairs. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, oh, a cameo. I, I go to smell it and I literally stick my nose into the bottle before I take a deep breath and I do it and I drop it because oh, it takes no. away all my ability to breathe. And so I don't freak out. I talk to myself in my mind. I go, okay, don't freak out. Breathe out of your mouth. And then I tried to breathe out of my mouth, and I couldn't. So I started to freak out, and I started drooling, like, just so oh, much no. drool. Yeah, I hit the floor, and I was, like, hyperventilating, like, oh. I couldn't I couldn't breathe. And my wife was like, stop playing. Stop playing. I'm like, I'm, oh. And she goes, <laughs> yeah, oh, my yeah. God, you're not playing. <laughs> like, I'm, like, on hands and knees in our freaking uh, driveway, like, almost dying. Stop playing. Get out oh, of here. Oh, no. Um, yeah, man. Thanks for having him ask that story. I should have lied. Oh no, that yeah. could have been tragic. That you, I hope not. You you almost ended up on dark side of the ring over smelling salts. So the thing is, she never been told me how to do it properly. You're supposed to hold it far away from your face and just 
kind of. I've never seen someone stick their nose directly and smell into a plant, suck it in like that. I see people do it on video, about they go and they go, and then they go. Yeah, like on TV and stuff, like on movies. Like that's that's what you always see. Is well, I see it on Instagram videos. She watches the Instagram videos. I look over her shoulder and like jacked girls are just like, and then they they go, you know. Oh my god, man! Wow. I, I don't know where I can possibly. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what is the first thing that you would do? Read a book, take a nap, play some video games, do something for a friend, volunteer. A lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. But the question is, time for what? And if it was unlimited, how would you go about using it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important for you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is so valuable. It's gotten me through some tough times, really helped me reflect on things that are important, specifically with BetterHelp. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be the convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. This is so beneficial when you've got that crammed schedule and you can't even imagine finding that extra hour. You can do it all from home. Fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Fightful today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Fightful. It's so flexible and it can help you find that social sweet spot with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash fightful. Possibly go from that. We, we've got a couple more, a couple more. I'm very interested to, to hear who, like maybe early in your career and now later in your career, you've gotten the ring with and you're like, oh, shit. Like them, like when like they just blow your mind, like maybe early in your career and then later when you're more established and, and you know a lot more. Early in my career... I don't remember a time where I was like blown away, but I remember a time where I knew I was in over my head and it was uh, me versus Cole Cabana one day uh, for IWA Mid-South. And uh, uh, Ian Rodden was just like feeding me ROH guys because he knew I was obsessed with Ring of Honor. And uh, he was feeding like Jimmy Jacobs. He fed me, oh, not fed me, but he gave me uh, uh, Tyler Black and then he gave me Cole Cabana and some other guys. And when I wrestled Cole Cabana, I remember him in there and I like, I think I messed something up maybe. And he put me like in a trap hold and I remember him mumbling something like, all right now kid or something like that. And I was just like, all right, I just need to sit here and listen to what he wants me to do. And so I remember just feeling so intimidated and I would really love to wrestle him again because I think I'm a lot better than I was then. Um, but that's the first thing I can remember. Uh, more recently though, I told my wife about it and she looks at me and goes, okay, stop marking out now. But, um, I wrestled Davey Richards. Okay. And, um, I was, yeah, I was a huge Davey Richards fan, of course. At a Warrior, while back, right? Just because of his... Yeah, Warrior Wrestling, yeah. Um, for years, I was a Davey Richards fan. And um, I wrestled him before, but it was a much smaller show. And I was like, you know, not as experienced as I am now. Yeah. And um, this show, I remember we started talking about other stuff. And then by the time we knew it, we had like, you know, 15 minutes before we went out. And so we started to talk a little bit more, kind of rushed it. Before we went out, he was like, don't worry about it. Let's just call it a day. And I was like, okay. And so um, this particular time, I really wanted to 
learn because I was like, I know there's more wrestling stuff that I need to learn. I just don't know what it is yet. So I need to just take the back seat all the time. And I didn't tell Davey this. And so I went in the ring. So he, he just thought, I thought that we were just going to like go back and forth. I went out there and it blew my mind how he led me through a match. Like, it's amazing. Like he took sorry. four years off. <laughs> he took four years off, and he's like, "Let's just call it in the ring." And before that, like occasionally he'd take like a year off, even before that. So okay, it's it's wild. Like he's just hopping back in there, and yeah, we'll call it in the ring. That's amazing. And he did. He he called the way he told me how to sell. He told me when to fire up. He told me he was like I was like literally in the passenger seat, seatbelt on passed out and he just did everything literally he held my hand through everything and he was intense and still kicking my ass while he was doing it it was amazing, amazing. and i i think i told all of my closest friends i've told them the story about me wrestling david richards and how amazing it was to work him and how like professional he was and how much i learned in the match like the the the, the key thing i learned was intensity that I don't think I possessed before the David Richards match. So I think if you see, if you pay attention to my matches before and watch my matches after the David Richards match, I think you'll see a big difference in the matches. So how did that compare to the first time you faced him? Because I think that was like in beyond way back in the day, like like maybe eight years yeah. ago. Like how yeah. did that stack up for you? Like as far as physicality, uh, psychology, any of that, was he like that back then too? Or was he a little more reserved? I think he was like that back then, but I was so into like trying to prove myself yeah. to myself and to other people that I don't think I was paying attention to anything else. I had tunnel vision and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And in my mind, I was like, I got to do this. I just kept my nose down. and I was grinding. Now I have my head kind of up and it's like, I need to learn as much as I can right now. Cause I feel myself getting pushed into a certain position. It's like, am I ready for these positions that I'm getting pushed into? I don't think I am, so I need to listen and like learn more right now. And Davey taught me so much within those 17 minutes of being in the ring with him. Like it's just, it's amazing. That's fantastic. He's amazing. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I gotta ask forbidden door questions because I'm the most basic bitch when it comes to wrestling media, and that's what everybody's asking everybody about. Well, what are your feelings seeing all these companies work together? I mean, Ring of Honor was doing that a long time ago. Uh, but when you see this stuff, are you like, hey, I want to get in on this action too. I want to wrestle this person, that person, et cetera? Um, not really. Um, something I've learned is uh, don't be anxious for anything. Um, yeah. What's meant for me, it will happen. If it's not meant for me, then it's not for me. Um, and I, I really learned that on my road to Ring of Honor. And it's, I told you, I just keep my nose down and look back up. And it's like, wow, I never imagined. So I don't have any expectations of anything. Um, I really try not to wish for too much. I have some goals I would like to accomplish, but I really try not to think about that. It's just like, just try to be the best John possible. And whatever happens, just be happy with it. To me, as long as I can live off of professional wrestling, I'm a happy man because like I don't want to do anything else with my life. So if I can just be in this business in this industry for the rest of my life, I'm a happy man. Um, 
for the Forbidden Door thing, it would be great. As long as whatever happens benefits Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. If it doesn't benefit Ring of Honor, I don't want no part of it. Were there times in the New Japan ROH relationship you're like, this seems awful one-sided? Because there were a lot of people that did from the outside looking in. I was like, these New Japan guys are picking up an awful lot of wins right here. Not trying to get I'm you very... with a gotcha. It's just, I mean, I personally felt that way. I, I was like, damn, y'all are winning like 8 out of 10, huh? Now, I'm a Ring of Honor guy through and through, sure. but I also don't want to upset any people in the office by saying anything. Of course, I have my own feelings about it. Yeah. And they're very strong opinions, too. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of don't want to put them yeah. all out It's okay. I, I get it. how things are. But, yeah. And, I mean, you, you've worked, like, I think almost three dozen shows that are either New Japan or ROH in New Japan. So it's very clear you, you've got a pretty solid reputation with that company as well. They seem to like you and uh, uh, lots of potential there, I'm sure. But uh, I appreciate you so much for being so generous with your time. This is an interview I've wanted to do for a, a really long time. Admire your work. One of my favorite people to watch in the ring. And what what I like is not just when I can learn from somebody – interviewing them but when i can physically watch what they're doing i can see how it's happening and learn stuff that way too uh it's a very very unique way to to watch wrestling and i'm glad that you're doing that but any anything else you want the people to know anywhere they can follow you on social media buy your merch all that good stuff not really a merch guy um (laughs) for any professional wrestlers that's listening i want to encourage you to uh Go to as many training seminars as possible. Um, I still go to them to this day. The last one I went to was a little bit before the pandemic, uh, Mike Quackenbush seminar. Uh, there were many going on during the pandemic, so of course I didn't go. But if there are any in my area, I always try to attend because if you really put the ego aside and just like you, you, you tell yourself you want to learn something, you want to take something away from it, you can literally learn something from anybody. I literally learned something from Starboard Charlie. I learned something from Lee Moriarty. All these guys have been in the business less time than me. And so um, don't ever let your ego run your career. So go to as many seminars as possible. Don't only have one trainer. And um, it's better to be seen and not heard. And uh, the fans are the lifeblood of independent wrestling. So um, always be nice to your fans, man. That's pretty much it. And to that point, I remember it was a few years ago. I was, I think I was, I was hurt or something like that. And one of my catch coaches was like, "Hey, Billy Robinson's coming to Kentucky. Let's go to his seminar." And I was like, "Yeah, even if I can't, if I couldn't have physically done anything, I'm sitting in on that." And there's still things that I look back at today, and it's like, okay, that that helped me refine a drop toe hold or something like that. And I'm glad I did because he passed away the next year. He passed away the following year. And I'd never get that opportunity after that. You, and because of that, there was, there was a couple of UFC veterans there. And now I watch their stuff. I watch their seminars. Uh, you can always learn something from anybody. And I think that that is an example of why your work is so good. Jonathan Gresham, thank you so much for giving me so much time. No problem, man. Um, thank you for having me. Well, I'll say one last thing because uh, you did say the passing of Billy Robinson. Something that I look back on that I do regret in my career is being on shows with guys I admired and looked up to, and I didn't take pictures because I was told earlier on that I was being a mark if I did. 
And now I regret not doing it because people have passed away or people have left the business and the industry and I never took pictures. So take pictures with as many people as you can. Who gives a fuck if you're being a mark? Yeah. We would not be wrestling early in our careers for 20 fucking bucks and we weren't marks. So we're all marks at some point. So. Guys, check it out. Check them out on Honor Club, Ring of Honor TV. They make it very easy to watch their product. If you have an internet connection, you can watch ROH TV on their website. Until next time, guys, we're out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.